You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. This is the Useless Information Podcast. I am Steve Silverman. Useless Information. About three years ago, I recorded a podcast on the Salem Trade School. It's a fantastic story, one of my favorites. Now, if you've never heard about the Salem Trade School before, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's podcast number 90. Briefly, in the late 1920s, the Salem Trade School played football against many of the high schools around Salem, Massachusetts. Where else? They were awful. They lost game after game, year after year. Then, they surprisingly won one game, and that's when it was discovered that the Salem Trade School was completely fictional. Crazy as it sounds, the school really didn't exist. It was soon learned that the team was basically a money-making scheme that had been put together by a man named Harold Burgess. Well, a couple of months after I posted that episode, I received an email from a man named John Murphy. His dad played on the Salem Trade School team. Now, John and I have spoken a number of times since the podcast was originally posted, and I asked him if I could record our latest conversation. He graciously agreed. So let's take a listen. So, John, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. I put the podcast out. I posted it on January 27th of 2016, and I checked you got in contact with me on March 21st. How did you stumble across my story? I mean, I'm only a little podcast in this whole big world. How did you come across it? It was purely by accident. I, When I can't sleep at night sometimes, I'll just plug in my headphones and search out different podcasts. I have no idea how I stumbled upon your podcast, but somehow I did, not knowing how I did, but I started to search it out, look at it, and listen to it, and I realized they were talking about my father's old football team, Salem Trade. Now, do you recall when your father first told you the story? Were you young or older when you first heard it? Actually, my father never never mentioned it to me. I never had a conversation with him. The only connection I have with, with that is that I remember this green sweater hanging in the basement for a long time until I got too old to keep, I think. Now, before we go any further, what was your dad's name? I guess I should ask that. His name was Stephen Francis Murphy. And uh, when did he join the team, do you know? I think he joined the team 
sometime sometime in the 1927 era, I think 27, 28. I think he wasn't on the team in the beginning, but I think he did. He joined it probably in 1928, I think. So he would have been on the team for probably about a year and a half, two years or so, uh, when, when its hoax was finally discovered. That's my guess, about two years. I remember in one page of his diary saying that someone had asked him to join the team, and he did describe it. So I know it existed at the time. I don't know the exact date of that diary page, but uh, he kept a diary where he, where he noted every day. He, he said what he did every day for that whole year, 1928. Did you know this diary existed until before he passed on, or you found it afterward? He kept a lot of diaries, so I knew he kept his diaries from all different years. And when I found out from your podcast about your your piece on the your team, I tried to find that year's diary, and I did. And then I started to look for it more. I really wasn't – I was completely aware of the team and all, but I really wasn't so aware that – I would be looking for it within the diary pages. Do you have any clue if he continued to play after the hoax was revealed? Because they did play games after that. School, schools just wanted to play them because they knew they were guaranteed to lose. Yeah, yeah I've, always, I've always wondered about that myself. I know that once the expose came out from the sports editor in the Boston Globe, his name was Jerry Nathan. Once that story came out, the team members thought they were going to get in trouble, and they all went underground. My father had some pages of his diary ripped out in that same time frame. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, and I think he didn't play after that because he didn't mention any more games. I, I think a lot of them just went underground. Now, what did your dad do after this? I mean, uh, obviously he had a career. What did he do? Yeah, during the naturally he this whole took place. This, this took place during the depression. Father actually graduated from high school in 1924. I think he was he was the vice president of his of his class, senior class, and there weren't a lot of jobs around. He ended up working for the gas company in the in the supply end of things in Salem, Massachusetts. It was uh, there weren't many jobs around in those days. It was it was tough. And what did he do afterward? I mean, did he continue that for the rest of his life? He basically stayed in in that gas company uh, arena, if you will, from Salem. He worked in the stock department, and he and his best friend, and also a member of the of the football team, Paul Collin. Paul Collin I, was my father's boss, and they both played for the football team prior to that. That's cool. So they actually kept in contact after they had, you know, they had some contact with each other after that. Yeah, they were best friends. I used to see, I used to see Paul, uh, Don Collin, a lot. Basically, when I went over to see my father at his work. Do you have any clue how your dad learned about the team or not really? No, but I think everybody, I think there were a lot of, uh, most of all the players were from the same area in Salem, I believe the north part of it. And um, everyone, a lot of people in Salem knew about the team. Uh, they practiced down at the common. So to me, it was a well-kept secret by a lot of people. A lot of the citizens of Salem, Massachusetts knew about that team and the fact that it did not have a high school. That's pretty funny because, uh, you know, <laughs> the rest of the world didn't seem to know, but uh, the people in the area did. They knew. Uh, they they would follow them. They wouldn't really go to a lot of away games. A lot of the away games were quite far away. I think sometimes the further the better. But they um, they knew they were practicing. 
and they knew about the team, and it was fun. I, I believe it was a pretty widespread joke in Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> Not surprising. Yeah, interesting. A couple of years ago, my wife was having surgery. This is uh, right, actually exactly two years ago, and I was in the waiting room for about 18 hours. And while I'm sitting there, I got an email from someone at the Travel Channel, and they were asking about that, your story, your dad's story. So I put them in touch with you, and why don't you say what happened after? That was an interesting piece of information when you got in touch with me. I think you asked me permission to give them any information I, you had, and I said, sure, go ahead. And then soon after that, I was directly in touch with them. The name of the program was Mysteries at the Museum, and it's within the channel, the Travel Channel's auspices, if you will. And they had a real problem in that the, in order to do the story, in order to do the video, they needed to have a museum where a, an artifact of the team was in. That's actually quite funny because you, you kind of assume when you watch the show that they found something in a museum and they did a, uh, you know, a segment on it. But they actually asked you to do the reverse because they wanted to do a segment. You had to get it into a museum. Yes, and, and, they, and they said to me that there couldn't be a, a museum with an artifact in it because they're going to be put on the museum show. So, in other words, I had to somehow, an artifact from the team had to be put into the, a museum in order for the, the shooting crew, the production crew, to come and, and videotape and put the program together on site. So I didn't have a very long time to, to get it done. But the short story of a long one, the short story is that the, the curator at the Boston Sports Museum, a man by the name of Richard Johnson, basically, unbeknownst to me, knew about this story. He was told by Jerry Nathan of the Boston Globe this story many, many years before. I took my, my diary, my father's diary, into Boston, and I met for the first time Richard Johnson and asked him if he would take and accept the diary from my father, my father's diary, and actually run and actually put a display together to do with this team. Mm -hmm. I was shocked. He, he agreed. He knew the story. He thought, he thought there was an incredible story there all around it. It basically is a story to this day that does not go away. It just continues and continues and continues. Your podcast was the latest link. There's actually more to this, though. I mean, not only did you get your dad's diary into the museum, but there's another piece you, you were able to find that. And why don't you talk about that? Yes. Well, what happened was they, the diary was one thing, but they said, Richard asked me about the sweater. Is there a, you know where the sweater is? And I, I, I said, I don't, I remember a sweater, I said, but I, I didn't know where there would be one. Just after that, I put a lot of ads in the Salem paper asking anyone who knew anything about the team, and that didn't produce anybody. But I made a lot of phone calls, and one of the phone calls I made was to a Paul Collin, not knowing if he was still alive, and he was the son of my father's best friend, Don Collin. He, he mentioned seeing it, but he didn't. He said he'd look for it. When I called him the next day, he said he found it. We went right over there. We were in Salem at the time. When my wife, Bonnie, and I went over there, 
And he came to the back door. And the minute I saw him, I saw his father. The minute he saw me, he saw my father. We both knew each other's father, but not each other. And it was his father's Salem Trade High School sweater. And what was the condition of the sweater like? It was in very, very good condition. It had like a small little tear. The, the real solid, well-constructed well, uh, quality leather buttons were still on. It was, a, it was in perfect condition almost. Wow. I called. I, and by the way, at this point, the production crew for the Mysteries the Museum show, they weren't really committed yet to uh, send the production crew up there. They were in New York City. They were running out of time. I called them, told them that we had the sweater. Then my wife, Bonnie, and I, Paul gave it to us. Then we ran into Boston Garden. We took some pictures of it. We signed some forms with the with the assistant curator, a Brian Kodignone of the Sports Museum. And then we sent pictures of those, that agreement and the sweater to the crew in New York City. And they said they were going to go ahead with the program, which they did. The episode was titled Hughes Hoax, Rat Bomb, and Friday Night Liars, and was season 15, episode 12. And uh, I actually get uh, Sling TV, and I noticed the episode is still there. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, after that, we started to put more pieces. We, we had the sweater. We had my father's diary. We had some pictures of the team. They were all together once up in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. We, um, we had a, a, a helmet. We had like a mask put on the uh, small mannequin that we had there. So right now the the display is on is in the sports museum in Boston. It it covers the whole museum covers two floors of the garden around the playing surface, the basketball court, the and the and the hockey rink. That they're in that environment, and they're very close to a display case featuring. Uh, Bill Belichick, the, uh, the coach of the uh, New England Patriots, and Tom Brady, the quarterback, and football, and so it's a it's sitting there in that uh, in that museum as we speak. And the museum is an incredible collection of all kinds of historical sports stories and personalities from the Boston, uh, New England area. Where did how did you locate those other pieces? You know, the helmet and so on. Well, the helmet was from that same era in the museum. Richard uh, Johnson had that. And the the different other artifacts, I either had them or we had copies of newspaper articles. And frankly, my father's diary, I had some of the state, some of his statements of written statements about the team. I had some of them enlarged. So they they they're hanging and so above the diary. So it's easier to read. But we went ahead and uh, with Brian Kodignone's help, we put together different pieces of uh, things from that era. So so I've actually seen the diary. Uh, you brought it to a talk that I was giving a few summers ago at uh, Columbia Green Community College nearby. And uh, I, I was really surprised how insignificant these events were in your dad's diary. He just, you know, he kind of would talk about going to the movies with your mom. I mean, I don't think they were married at that point, but going to the movies and and other things. And that was all just kind of, this is just kind of minor things that he's on this team. 
right. The only the, the times he really wrote it up a lot was when when they the team itself, a lot of the players on the team were upset at the at the founder of the person who put this team together in the first place, a man by the name of Harold Burgess. And Harold was many times the quarterback and he did not want want to win a game. Naturally he thought that if they won, they might not be invited back. They can't they couldn't play any home games. They had no high school. So the, most of the time when my father would get upset would be when 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 they could have won a game and Harold in a critical moment threw the ball away or fumbled or did whatever a quarterback could do to lose a game. So they, they used to at one point I read in the diary where my father and Paul Collin drove, but they played at a distant city and he was walking home and the, most of the team members drove right by and they didn't want to pick him up because he had just thrown another game. Which is, which is kind of funny because you think about it today. I mean, if you watch sports on TV, as soon as a player messes up, there's the coach yelling and screaming at the person. And now you have the yeah, coach right. in this game trying to throw the game yeah. and make sure, make sure that they actually lose. Yeah, yeah. In this case, there were there were some pretty good players on the team, and they really played to win. And uh, there was one one player who basically was offered a uh, college a college scholarship, which he couldn't accept because he never finished high school, <laughs> and he had dropped out of high school. And he was a very good athlete, I guess. At one point, they actually brought in. They didn't have enough players, so they. They brought in the one that a bus driver that happened to be sitting there in the parking lot waiting to take. I don't know where they get where they got him, but they were they'd go around the day before a game looking for uniforms and not having enough uniforms, not having enough people. But they would somehow get a team together and and then um, go to the go to the away games they played. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So when the Travel Channel did your segment uh, on, on your dad's story, they didn't include the diary that you had gone through all that bother to get into the museum. Did you, I'm sure you noticed that. Uh, they, they basically focused on the sweater itself. Yeah, they focused on the sweater. The diary actually took 
the back seat in that regard. Yeah, it, the the big thing about the diary was that at least it was something that that Richard Johnson uh, accepted as a beginning of putting a display together. But the sweater itself was the critical element, I think, the, the critical item that that actually made it made it happen. And the fact that Paul Collin still had that sweater, that was all by itself, that was the story. It was incredible that he had kept, still had it in that kind of condition. Amazing. This is a story that just keeps coming up over and over again. Uh, you know, I came across it and I'm not really into sports, but I really like the story. So why don't you talk about a little bit about how the story keeps coming up over and over again? You're right. It won't go away. It, it started, the story started when the, when the Boston Globe, Jerry Nathan basically exposed the team as a hoax. And I believe they were fighting over money at the time. I don't know who called him, but someone could have been my father. I don't know. After that, many, many years, and that was a, became a national news story all over, the, all over the country. It was one of those stories. After that, some years later, there was another piece in the Boston Globe and other newspapers about a, an anniversary of the team, and so that kept it alive. Some years later, there was a Boston television journalist by the name of Charles Austin. He interviewed my father and Don Collins, in, uh, and had two segments on one of the Boston TV t- televisions, Channel 4, I think it was, two nights running. They had the, they had the program then. They were, after that, there were, there were different newspaper items that came out on it. Another anniversary came up. And then there was a long period of time. And then your podcast came up. And again, there was no reason for me, all the podcasts out there at two or three in the morning, that I would actually listen to that podcast and not knowing how I found it and not being able to find it again for a while. This isn't typically the kind of story that I do because I like very obscure stories, but this was sports and I don't follow sports. And I'm always afraid that I'm going to say something that just doesn't ring true with sports. But there really was, there weren't, there's nothing technical in the story. It's just a fun, forgotten story. I mean, as you said, it comes up every few years, but it really is a story from the past, and, and it is, it's just a lot of fun to learn about. That's right, and I, I think that's the, the essential element in it, that it is a human nature type story that other people get interested in, no matter what, how, far, how long ago it happened. After your podcast again, I got in touch with you. You and I eventually met. Uh, I heard you give a talk on it down at one of the... Uh, one of the areas near your house in New York. And, and after that, the naturally in that same time frame, the television show mysteries at the museum, they brought it on. Now it's a display at the sports museum in, in Boston. It'll eventually have a website, hopefully coming up. And the curator at the Boston sports museum, Richard Johnson basically believes that this story will eventually become a movie. It just has legs. It keeps going decade after decade after decade, and the interest level keeps getting higher and higher. I guess the magic question is, which actor do you want to portray your dad? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. I know the I know the biggest uh, actor in the in the whole. Uh, movie would be would be Harold Burgess, who actually put the team together to begin with, and my father actually helped him a lot by writing articles. 
he would send articles into newspapers about the team's victories or losses mostly. And uh, so he enjoyed doing that. But so some type of writer would, sports writer maybe would, would be that role. But Harold Burgess basically ended up leaving Salem, Massachusetts. He ended up in California and he founded a, another team out there. I forget exactly I forget exactly where in California it was, but he, he had another sports team out there under the same conditions. <laughs> Try and pull the same hoax again. <laughs> yeah. Interesting story, though. It just, uh, it just keeps going. Yeah, it is a great story. It's one of my favorites that I've done in recent years. Um, and, and when you came to my talk, uh, I purposely put it at the end because I knew you were sitting in the audience with your dad's diary. And uh, people told me after that when you pulled out that diary, that was the best part of the talk. That was, huh? The diary. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it gave some, uh, you know, real meat to the story. You know, it wasn't just another story that I was telling. He was proof that it really did happen. There was physical proof. There was a, the diary was actually physically there. And now anyone who wants to see it can go to that Boston Sports Museum at the Boston Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. And again, the whole fifth and sixth floor. The museum itself conducts tours, mostly during most not during holidays or anything. They have to call and make sure the tours are on that day. But for the most part, there were hourly tours of the whole museum, and that includes going by and seeing the the display of uh, of the Salem Trade School team. Our conversation continued after this, but we switched to a totally different topic, which I also recorded. Now, without giving too much away, John worked for a couple of years with Dean Kamen, who was most famous for his invention of the Segway. John was his sole employee on the project that the two worked on, and what they created has had a long-lasting impact on schools, not just in the United States, but around the entire globe. I still have to edit that segment, so I'll post it after I record the next episode of the Useless Information Podcast, which I'm currently writing. So stay tuned. They're both on their way. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.